This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner-nominated Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Hacha! Hi, this is Adam Warrock, and you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Comicast with Joe and Matt. Two-time crew? <laughs> sort, of, sort of break it, break it down like good. Welcome to episode 144 of THN. God, the final regular episode of, of 2013. Forever. forever. Possibly forever and ever. It's real solemn. I know. Why I feel, are we? I don't know. I feel like we're losing something. Why are we so low energy? I don't know. I just feel like 2013 was pretty rad. That's almost over, and I've got a terrible feeling about 2014. 2014 is going to be double rad. It's going to be awful. I it's going to be our third anniversary. It's supposed to be Ragnarok. Did you know that? Anyway, we're talking nerd news for the week of December 18th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me on the Twitter under the handle at Matt Baumstein. And when I'm not raising my wife's suspicions by receiving plastic pug piggy banks on my front porch from secret admirers, I'm writing the comic speculator blog for worthpoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick. You can find me at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not even on the list of suspects of Matt's secret admirers, but would definitely be questioned in the event of his murder. It's true. I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and the artist slash co-creator of the upcoming hit something or other, The Untold Tales of the Two-Headed Nerd. Who's late now, Joe Patrick? Nobody's late. I told you it would take forever to do. In this week's episode, you'll hear reviews of Illegitimates, number one, and Lock and Key Alpha, number two. After that, we'll review ten of this week's comics faster than Santa can skip the ziggurat during the ludicrous speed round. Then... We'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where Krampus is swilling our pear brandy and spilling the secrets of next week's comics. Swilling? Spilling? See what I did? That's good, right? It seems we don't get to read anything we want to until you guys demand it. So this month, we're reviewing God Hates Astronauts as part of our monthly Take a Look. It's in a book segment. Who told us to review that? I don't know. Somebody on the forums. Somebody on the forums. And we thank you. Before we launch our all-out war on Christmas, let's wish baby Santa a a very, very happy birthday. And then we can talk about this week's big news. Following the recent news that Inhuman, the new series from Matt Fraction and Joe Madureira, would be delayed until April. I think it's Madureira. Nope. Marvel Comics has announced <laughs> that Fraction has been replaced on the title altogether. Thunderbolts writer Charles Soule, or Soleil as I've sometimes heard it pronounced, is the new writer of Inhuman, with Joe Mad continuing on as artist for the series. In an interview with Comic Book Resources, Marvel Editor-in-Chief Axel Alonso said, quote, This is just an instance where we, meaning Marvel and the writer Matt Fraction, the royal we, came to the realization that we weren't on the same page. We probably never would be, and no one would benefit if we tried to force it to work. The series that Matt wanted to write would have been good, no doubt about it, but it was not the series we needed to lay the foundation for this new universe within the Marvel Universe. The reason this creative shift came about a bit late is because of the mutual respect we've built over the 10 plus years and because we really wanted it to work out. Writer Matt Fraction added, quote, As undramatic and uninteresting as it sounds, my version of Inhuman wasn't what they were into, and it is their company. It's a legit case of creative differences in spite of everyone's best intentions. After what, five or six months where this has been my primary focus and we're still not on the same page? I can't say they didn't try. They can't say I didn't try. And at some point, you got to move on. It happens. So, Matt, my question is, are you still excited about Inhuman, or does this news... And seeing the kind of editorial control being massaged takes some of the enthusiasm away. Well, it's funny, because I think if you were to go back and replace every mention of Marvel with DC, I would go, yep, business as usual at DC, <laughs> you know? But uh, it's weird. It's a little weird. I still think it's going to be okay. I don't know what the issue could have been. Well, I mean, it might not have... It's, you know? it's just like he had a story in mind... I get it. it and just seems, it just wasn't the story they wanted. I suppose. It just seems a little strange. And these things do happen. It, sure. It's, and Fraction's still working there. He's not off all his books Right, right, right. And it's not he like... He didn't get fired. And he was writing a lot of stuff. And, you know, maybe that was part of it. You know, like, I just don't have the time to get it all done. And, you know, you're not crazy about what I'm doing. So screw it. Get Charles Soleil to do it. <laughs> well, That's not his name, by the way. It's and, of course, the fan reaction in some corners of the internet 
was to pounce on Marvel for making jokes about DC and their creative nonsense when they're doing it too. Right. And editor Tom Brevoort got online and, and said my favorite quote, probably of the entire comics industry year of 2013. He said, if you can't tell the difference between what happened on Inhuman and a writer finding out that he's been fired from Green Lantern <laughs> by reading it in previews, then you are either blind or hopelessly biased. And I totally agree. Yeah, not to mention Marvel 1. DC, what, 15 news sure. stories like this? You when, know, like, you know I mean, what you also don't hear is Matt Fraction storming to Twitter and going, yeah. stupid Marvel. Right. Stupid Marvel's impossible to work with. Going Rob, going Rob Leefield on Marvel's ass, right? <laughs> you know? And I like I, it does kind of make the hackles on my hair stand up, on the back of my neck stand up a little bit to see, like blatantly see that the editors are steering the ship, right? But I mean, it's corporate comics, and that's the way. And it at is. the end it, of the day, they need the universe to go a certain direction. And if the uh, we I get, get a good story out of it at the end of the day, then it was the right decision, right? Image Comics has announced the return of David Lapham's Stray Bullets after a seven-year hiatus. Lapham self-published the series under the El Capitan banner beginning in 1995, but suspended production on the book in 2007 to focus on freelance work. In March of 2014, Image will simultaneously release Stray Bullets number 41, the long-lost final issue of the original series, a hardcover called Stray Bullets, the Uber Alice edition containing all 41 issues of the original run and Stray Bullets Killers number one, the first issue of an all new story arc. During the press conference announcing the news, Lapham said, quote, we started a family and other priorities prevented us from giving the 100% commitment we had to the book for so many years. And so we've been figuring out a way to get back into it. Stray Bullets has always been home to me and I couldn't wait to get back to it. Joe Patrick I love Stray Bullets. The bad news here is my full Stray Bullets hardcore, hardcover edition is effectively worthless. <laughs> well, it's still worth something. <laughs> I mean, well, I got to get rid of it and get the big one with you everything know, it's now. Gonna be, it's going to be like a, the Walking Dead compendium. It'll be just like a phone book paperback. It won't be that sexy slipcase thing. All right, all right, all right. I've got the big sexy slipcase, but it doesn't have the final issue. And I loved, loved Stray Bullets. My question is, when he's saying we here, is he talking about him and Image? <laughs> we started a family. Yeah, we like, came together and worked it out. Did he have sex with someone in Image? <laughs> like, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm sure he means his his wife and family, and then he and Image worked it out. Maybe his maybe his wife works with him on the, on the series. That I don't could know. be. I honestly don't gives know. Gives creative input. Uh, who knows? But... Stray Bullets is fun. It's great. I mean, maybe fun's not the right word. No, it's a but it's, it's feel awesome. bad comic booking. <laughs> yeah, but Stray Bullets is awesome. But it's great. Yeah, and I've it. read not all of it, but chunks of it, and I've enjoyed everything that I've read from it. And I am super excited that they're releasing a compendium. Yeah, for guys like me that either missed all of it or only read it in sporadic chunks. And I'm gonna be real honest here. Outside of Stray Bullets, I don't think I have loved anything else that Lapham has done. I have not enjoyed anything I that Lapham has done. some of it. I have definitely liked some of it, but not loved like Stray Bullets. This is good news. So here's to hoping he can come back Let's strong. accentuate the positive. Now we'll wrap things up with a trio of comic book casting announcements and rumors. Number one. First, Marvel Studios has confirmed that Paul Rudd will play the starring role in Edgar Wright's upcoming Ant-Man film, which is pretty funny. Because I was typing this last night, and as I was typing it, it was still in talks. Confirmed to be in talks, not definitely starring. Right. And then a tweet from Edgar Wright popped up that said, confirmed, and it had a link to the Celery Man sketch starring Paul Rudd from Tim and Eric. It all happened very fast. It did. It was funny and awkward. I like it, though. I like the casting a lot. I think Paul Rudd, good-looking guy, smart, funny. Uh, I don't see any reason why he couldn't be Hank Pym or Scott Lang. Or even, what's the other one? O'Grady? Eric O'Grady. Eric O'Grady. I don't want an irredeemable Ant-Man <laughs> You're movie. not going to see an irredeemable no. Ant-Man movie. It has not been revealed which version of the character Rudd will play. Details surrounding the plot have been kept under wraps. The movie opens July 31st, 2015. I'm sorry. I want Hank Pym. I want Hank Pym as well because he's an Avenger. And 
maybe we see him set in motion the events that create Ultron in this movie. I want it to be Hank Pym. I want him to be tied to the Ultron story. Absolutely. It's dumb if it's and not. It, like, I don't remember what order the movies come out. So if if he does appear in Avengers and it sets him up as a, as a thing, and then we get an Ant-Man movie that's a little bit more palatable because he's been introduced already. Makes sense. Right. Other <laughs> than know, just like, say, Ant-Man, go. Yeah, right. Totally. But I do want Hank Pym. I love Scott Lang. But I just I gotta have the originals. Yeah, we gotta have. You Hank. can't just. It's like say, it's like introducing Venom and saying that he's Flash Thompson right away and not Eddie Brock. Right, and none of that stuff happened. Right, you know. Moving over to DC, Variety has reported that Warner Brothers is pursuing Academy Award nominee Joaquin Phoenix for a role as an antagonist in the upcoming Man of Steel sequel. Industry sources believe the mystery character to be none other than Lex Luthor, a role previously rumored to belong to either Brian Cranston or Mark Strong. Love them both. Time will tell if the former bearded rap star actually has an interest in playing the character or if Warner Brothers is just chasing him for no reason. Yeah, maybe they want to be Brainiac. Who knows? Right. (laughs) I think this is weird. I don't think it's weird. I think he's perfectly capable of playing an evil, weird guy. And Lex Luthor is about as evil and strange as they come. I do, too. But, you know, uh, Lex Luthor is a large presence. Sure. Right? Yeah. And I don't think Joaquin Phoenix despite his best efforts is a large presence you think johnny cash is a large presence if you are implying that because the man played johnny cash i'm saying he can play a larger than life character and it's not an issue yeah the guy he's an actor he's a talented actor they can do whatever he wants okay first i think think lex Luthor is older i do um, well no i think i think lex Luthor needs to be older okay and I think that he has to be imposing. Imposing is the word I'm looking for. And I do not think Joaquin Phoenix is imposing. I think he could pull it off. I think he could definitely pull it off. We'll see. Finally, Dark Knight Rises co-star Joseph Gordon-Levitt, a.k.a. JGL, has signed on to produce and maybe even star in a big screen adaptation of Sandman, the well-known Vertigo series by Neil Gaiman. According to Deadline, Warner Brothers' go-to screenwriter David Goyer will team with Levitt on the project. This is weird. This is weirder than the Joaquin Phoenix thing. This is super weird, and I don't want The Sandman to be a movie. I want The Sandman to be a fleshed-out television series, preferably on a pay cable channel where they can do all the weird shit. And I, because I just don't want to see this compressed into a film. There's too much stuff. There's too big of a story, and it would not work for me. As far as Joseph Gordon-Levitt, if he's going to be in the movie, I have no problem with that. I think he's one of the most talented people working in Hollywood right now, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt can play whatever he wants. I disagree. Really? Not about Joseph Gordon-Levitt, necessarily. Oh, okay. I I think that, uh, unlike, you know, we talked about this a little bit before we recorded, Mm Mm-hmm. Why the Last Man is something I definitely agree should not be shoehorned into a movie, but the the thing about Sandman is that it is not necessarily, it does not necessarily need to be taken as one long story. It is, in fact, dozens right. of small stories. But as I pointed out, those dozens of small stories steer you to a larger story. They certainly do. I just don't want to lose any of it. But I think I would be okay with a big budget, big screen, serious adaptation of Sandman. Maybe the first arc. Maybe. Where he's imprisoned right. and then he busts out and he right. has to like rebuild his power. But I hope And there you go. That's a Sandman movie. I hope that's go. all they do. I mean, just don't try and here's everything. We, we, do, no, we got like, the idea. We crushed like, it into the two hours. You don't you know? really need to like... There are huge chunks of, sand, of Sandman that are fine as short stories, but I would not want to see that adapted as a movie. I would. Or a TV series. I would. <laughs> I would be more excited if they said this was coming to Showtime or HBO. Or That's the big news for this week. If you want to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, hit us up at the THN forums, where Brian Cranston, Mark Strong, Bruce Willis, Nick Cage, and Vin Diesel have assembled a leave of extraordinary bald gentlemen to challenge Joaquin Phoenix for the role of Lex Luthor, and it is not going to be pretty. Boom. Vin Diesel. There's your Lex Luthor. Vin Diesel. In. No. (laughs) What? I was choking. Every Friday, the bald is the newborn baby Joe Patrick posts the question of the week on our THN web forum, which you can find by clicking the link at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Joe, what do we ask the listeners this week? This week's question, we want to know who you think would be the perfect 
film Lex Luthor. Living or dead. For the 21st century. Oh. No, no, no. I was going to say, sky's the limit. You no. Can, you can dig them up, clone them. Because the answer is Gene Hackman and go yourself yeah, otherwise. No, not for this new one. I yes. don't think it'll work. It will pick, a, pick an actor currently working that you think would be a great Lex Luthor. Age appropriate. And, they can't and, be like, oh, this guy, 10 years ago. Right. Nope. Well, nope. you know. No. If you want to say Patrick... <laughs> No. Patrick Stewart, but X-Men 3 a little bit so that he looks young? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. That's terrible. <laughs> and while you're at it, we want you to dreamcast your favorite comic book movie villains. It doesn't have to be a villain that's in a movie now. No, no, Just no. say, I want to see a big screen version of the Shocker, and I think Sam Rockwell should play him. Goldberg should play him. <laughs> Goldberg. <laughs> Goldust. <laughs> the wrestler. I think Goldust should play him. <laughs> Now, normally we would say, hey, give us a call and leave us a message on Skype or at the Ziggurat direct line, 402-819-4894. But it's the holiday season. We're taking the next two weeks off. So this question is web forums only. It's not a flim flam. We're not trying to chick anybody. If you don't want to answer it, don't answer it. If that's the way you want to be, you know who you are. Answer the question. Sign up. It's going to be fun. That's right. It's free. We don't judge you. We don't sell your information. And we just want to come hang out. Let's be together. You and It's review time on THN where Matt and I leap out of bed, run to the Christmas tree to unwrap and review two of this week's new comics. Matt, are you returning your Christmas comic or is this one going in the collection? We'll see. This week I read Illegitimates, number one, from IDW. This is written by Taryn Killam and Mark Andreco with art by Kevin Sharp. Here's your solicit. Saturday Night Live's Taron Killam writes the story of the bastard children of the world's best secret agent, and each one of them inherited something from both mom and dad, although they might not know who dad is. That was my solicit. I came up with that because theirs kind of sucked. When I heard Killam was working on a comic about a horny super spy that sires several super agent bastards, I was in. It's a great premise, and Killam is a super funny guy, probably my favorite cast member on Saturday Night Live right now. When I heard Andreco was helping him with the script, I was thrilled. I love Mark Andreco. The guy does good work, and I don't know why he doesn't have more jobs. In the past, we've had plenty of actors and actresses try to write comics with pretty much universal failure. See Jada Pinkett Smith's Menace for Evidence. See Rashida Jones's <laughs> Frenemy of the State for Evidence. <laughs> Frenemy of the State is actually kind of funny. Not really. This was fun, fast-paced, well-written, and well-executed. In story, anyway. Kevin Sharp has been around for a long time and done some quality work, but the art here had this 90s awesome comics look. Again, see Jada Pinkett Smith's Menace. Wait, did he draw Jada Pinkett Smith's Menace? No, no, no. It was just 1990s. It was from Awesome. And it had that typical, like, hey, I like Robbly Field too, kind of, you know? It just didn't do much for me. Sharp is capable and he has some good panels, but there's others that are just so stiff and borderline strange due to perspective issues. It, it's not good, and it took me out of the story. I hate to criticize anyone with a skill set that I don't have, but the art literally took me away from what was otherwise a clever and funny story. Like I said, this is clever. This is funny. But there's so many clever comics out there right now that are probably more worthy of your money, and I can only give this a skimmit. You know, I kind of disagree on the art. I mean, it's not the best art I've ever seen. No. But I didn't have any real problems with it. There was just some panels that it got so weird like, where the guy like jumped out the window and landed like Iron Man and like <laughs> when they were like walking down the hall with the secretary and she was in front of them and then she was behind them and then she was in front of them again. <laughs> like what is going on? You know? Maybe she's walking faster than them. I don't know. I just noticed it. I And I don't like noticing it. You know sure. I mean? No, I understand. I understand. And <laughs> I, I read this as a PDF provided by IDW. Okay. Uh, in our capacity as reviewers, we do get these sometimes. And because we famous. Yeah, because we famous. Yeah. Their watermark that is on the PDF. So annoying. Other companies do it too. Dark Horse does it. But this, like, they turn the opacity on the watermark down far enough that you can still see the art. Yeah. This one, the watermark was so apparent that it kind of blocked out parts yeah, of the art like for in me. In your face. <laughs> so I am not judging the art on those merits, obviously, but 
I also did not notice anything that leapt out at me as problematic. Again, I understand it is it is kind of a throwback style, and it's not my favorite style. Yeah, but it was fine. What the draw here is the story, and the story is funny. It's very clever, and I love the idea that James Bond is just banging chicks every five <laughs> yeah, seconds. He's a full on sex, and <laughs> so he's got an army of children. Yeah. That are that have a, a propensity for this sort of work, and I that's really clever. But this issue was all set up. I felt like it would definitely. And normally that's not fine. Uh, normally that's fine. But when I finished it, I closed my iPad and went. That's it. Well, don't you think they kind of have to do nothing but set up for a story like this? Sure. It just, I don't know what, it, I don't know what I felt was missing. I like, guess I just don't know how you would write it any other way. We spent a, we spent a lot of time with the dad. Right. And I loved the fact that you never saw the dad's face. Yeah. Was it was always cool. obscured. Right. You know, so it could be James Bond for all we know. Until his head was exploded. <laughs> Until his head exploded. <laughs> So there's a lot of time spent with the dad hooking up with the moms, and I and I get that you need that. And then there's several pages of meeting the kids, and I get that you need that, of course. And but then it was over, and it was just it felt abrupt. Okay. It felt abrupt to me. All right. So as a whole, like as a complete story, I bet it will read way better. But as a first issue, I am going to agree with you and give it a skim it because I was left wanting and not in the like oh i can't wait to see what happens right it was in the oh i wish there was more to this yeah is that it yeah so it's a skimmer for me as well but for slightly different reasons okay joe patrick you're on your own here i have never read a single issue of lock and key tell these kids about lock and key alpha number two you diseased maniac this book is also from idw it's written by joe hill with art by gabriel rodriguez Here's your, Rod Rod <laughs> Here's your solicit. I will repeat it, even though I read it last week. I was impaired. The end. A door claps softly shut. A key scrapes in the last rusted lock. It ends here. The story of the lock children and their desperate, tragic battle with the monster set on destroying them. The past. Didn't freak me out this time. You really got me last week. Well, you were kind of hammered. Well, I was ready for it this week. Yeah, it's true. This review is going to be 100% spoiler free. So don't worry if you've never read it. This is just about my feelings with what happened in this issue. It it does not have any plot details whatsoever. Gotcha. This is solely about the bowel movement you took while you read this. Yes. So (laughs) please feel free to listen uh, and do not worry that anything will be spoiled for you. They get it. Okay. The Locke family's struggle is finally over, and that struggle has taken an enormous personal toll on all of their lives. And now, after nearly six years, Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez bring the story of the Locke family (laughs) to a close in a tremendously satisfying way. Hill touches base with most of the characters from the series, offering closure to each of their individual stories. The real stars of this issue, though, and the entirety of Locke and Key, are the Locke children, especially Tyler. The amount of depth Hill has given these characters and growth he's put them through has been a real joy to witness. In this issue, there are some moments when Hill's script gets a little too melodramatic, cheesy a little bit, and a scene dealing with the fate of a major character could have been spelled out a little bit more clearly. Those are just small gripes, though, and they did not interfere with my overall enjoyment of the issue. Hill capitalizes on moments that both stirred and broke my heart, and it's all beautifully rendered by Gabriel Rodriguez. Rodriguez impresses at every turn. (laughs) The artist delivers each and every moment of excitement and emotional resonance that a grand finale like this calls for. His expressive faces and his sense of pacing and design are breathtaking. He's made me a lifelong fan through his work on this series, and on the back, there's an ad that I did not... For a series I did not know was coming, Eric Shanauer, the uh, the writer that's been adapting all of the Oz books with Scotty Young at Marvel, also did uh, Age of Bronze. Age of Bronze. That's what I was thinking. They are doing a uh, a Little Nemo comic, uh, Return to Slumberland, and Gabriel Rodriguez is doing the art. And I don't know if you know anything about Little Nemo, uh, but the artist that created Little Nemo, Windsor McKay was monstrously talented 
It's one of the most beautiful comic strips ever created. The only thing I know about Little Nemo was the Super NES game. Uh, right. It was I, terrible. Yeah, Little <laughs> Nemo and Slender Tumbleland. I believe it was on the original NES. Yeah, uh, I think you're right. Yeah. That's correct. <laughs> so I am pumped to see Rodriguez moving from this book onto that series because it's going to be beautiful. Lock and Key Alpha number two is, like I said, a beautiful package. It may seem a little pricey at $7.99, but the main story is 32 pages, no ads. And they've included a fun little travel log of the creative team's visit to the real-life town that inspired the book's setting, Lovecraft, Massachusetts. That's neat. Yeah. After all the time I've spent with these characters, I can't help but feel like something will be missing now that it's over. That, I think, is a testament to the tremendous work that these two creators and their team have produced. If you're already a fan of the series, have no fear. This is a better ending than I could have hoped for. And if you've never read the series before, what are you waiting for? How many times do we have to say it? Pick up the first volume immediately and immerse yourself in this world. Lock and Key will stand as one of my favorite stories of all time. This was a great ending. Huge buy it. Fine. I'll do it. Okay, then. There we go. New Year's resolution. I'm going to read Lock and Key this year. All right. Suckers walk! Money talks, but it can't touch my three lock box. So that is a double skim it for Illegitimates number one and a double, well, a single buy it for Lock and Key Alpha number two. I'll give it a buy it. Huh? Why, why not? I'll give it a buy it. Buy it's for everybody. Hey! Of course, we want to know what you bastard children of super spies and bastard children of Stephen King thought of these comics. I don't think he's a bastard. I don't think Joe Hill's a bastard, but it was funny. So make a bunch <laughs> of babies of your own and have them give us your opinions over at the This Week's Comics section of the THN forums which you can find by clicking the forum button at twittednerd.com. It says forum right on it. I'm sure Joe Hill's mom is a very nice person. I'm sure she is. And he knows who she is. <laughs> right. <laughs> I thought Joe was kidding when he told me how serious Christians got about this whole war on Christmas bullshit. So, when I shoulder-tackled Bill O'Reilly dressed as Santa and declared myself as Master Chief of the Xmas Rebellion on national cable news TV... I had no idea how fast the tea party could mobilize. So, join Joey and I as we jump through the side windows of Santa's sleigh to speed away from the mob of frothing, misinformed Christians while reviewing ten new comics during this week's ludicrous speed round. Speed! Go! Teen Titans Go! Number one from DC. After this, go. Teen Titans! I hated that show. <laughs> I didn't have a whole lot of time for the Teen Titans cartoon. Until its recent reinvention as an over-the-top, self-aware farce. This was a great comic version of the insane show. Thought you were going to say fart. Yeah. And it somehow <laughs> captures the frantic spirit of the TV version despite being made of static panels. God, you're easily I'm amused. Sorry, this Still, I can absolutely understand how this wouldn't be everyone's cup of tea. So, despite how much I enjoyed it, I'm giving it a skim it. Look at you. Hey. Escape from Jesus Island, number one from Wisdom Productions. I see what they did. They did, did D-U-M-B. Hey-oh. God bless Kickstarter, but not everything crowdfunded is going to be gold. Here we see a group of animal activists sneaking up on the laboratory island of a company that clones pets. So, like, Beeps dies and I can't handle it. And they clone him for me. The animal activist people are pissed off because one in every 17 of these pets is a viable clone. So it takes 17 tries to get to your dog. The rest are horrible mutants and they live painfully and whatever. Turns out they're not just cloning pets. They're trying to clone Jesus, too. But one of the clones is Jesus' evil brother who apparently has magic powers. If you love Adobe Illustrator and what it can do to photographs, you might dig the art. And if you love <laughs> Rob Zombie Horror Meets, the Resident Evil movies, then you will love this. I'm giving it a skim it because you can tell the creators work very hard on this issue. It is quality. It's just not for me. Skim it. Thunderbolts Annual, number one from Marvel. Ben Acker and Ben Blacker, the writers behind the recent Deadpool Annual, are back. So I checked this out, hoping for a repeat performance. What I found was a story about the Thunderbolts being sent to assassinate a rogue Doctor Strange. Not quite as enjoyable as the Deadpool issue, but kind of fun nonetheless. Still, it feels like pretty disposable stuff, and the story actually reinforces that feeling at every turn. Mm. Skim it. 
ghost number one from Dark Horse. Kelly Sudeconic brings a sexy ghost back to the Dark Horse U and does it with a great premise. This time, Ghost is a demon hunter trying to figure out who she was before she died with the help of two living roommates. Artist Chris Sabella is awesome here, and his demon designs are flat-out disturbing. It's a great story, great premise, great art. My one complaint would be that if you just pick this up as a number one, it might be a little lost, because it definitely leaps right into it, and it spins right out of that series. Regardless, give it a buy it. Great art, great story. Love Kelly Sudeconic. The Midas Fletch, number one from Boom. This book wasn't on my radar at all, but it turned out to be a really pleasant surprise. Adventure Time writer Ryan North kicks off Boom's new Boom Blocks imprint with a fun... Maybe it's Boom Box. Boom Blocks is a video game. I don't remember. With a fun story of a team of future scientists that return to investigate the history of a long-dead Earth. North's script is playful and fun, and unlike that miser... Aaron Myers. I kind of liked that they were jokesters. Oh. Yeah. And the art by Shelley Paraline and Braden Lamb is excellent. I really liked this a lot, and I didn't... I uh, Literally, I, I saw it and went, oh, that thing? And had no expectations, and it was great. Huh. Buy it. Indestructible Hulk number 17 from Marvel. This one's another Inhumanity tie-in, and it seems Bruce Banner may have the answer to the wave of new Inhumans. The only problem is Iron Man and Ant-Man don't trust him for reasons that should be obvious. Great art here by Clay and Seth Mann and Miguel Sepulveda. He's got a seven-page fill-in that I did not even notice until I looked and went, oh, there were multiple artists here. Very professional job, guys. Totally kept the story flowing. Excellent story here by Mark Wade. I really like how he's sort of showing us Bruce Banner gets kicked around a lot, and that's one of the reasons that he's the Hulk, probably. Buy it. Buzzkill, number four from Dark Horse. A story I would have been quick to dismiss as a Rockstar's vanity project has turned out to be one of my favorite minis of the year. Good lord. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yes. This tale of a superpowered addict that wants so desperately to change but keeps getting pulled back into the world he's trying to leave behind ends the only way it really could have. Powerful stuff. Amazing art. Buy it. Steam Engines of Oz, Volume 2, The Geared Leviathan, Number 1, Because You Demanded It, America. <laughs> there you go. From Arcana. If there was something here that was supposed to remind me of The Wizard of Oz, I guess I missed it. If you're a steampunk fan, you might dig on this. And the art by Yanis... Wow. Rombulius? Sure. Royumbulius? <laughs> I don't know. Was good. It was really good. Yanis Rumbulus. He's just good. He's good at his job. I just think my serious steampunk allergy prevented me from caring about this story at Why all. Why do you keep forcing yourself to read it? Because Joe Patrick won't. They get it. You don't like stuff like this. I'm giving it a skim it because <sighs> the art was good. The story is solid. There's just really nothing that says Where's the Vaz to me. Black Science, number two from Image. Rick Remender and Mateo Scalera's insane anarchist super science story continues. I'm not sure what exactly was different about this issue, but the visuals really clicked for me. And we get a little more insight into the team that's bouncing uncontrollably from reality to reality. I love the story Remender is telling here. And the art by Scalera is gorgeous. I just, I wish I could figure out why I... Didn't love the art in number one, but liked it better in number two. I don't know. I think you're just confused. I guess. It's a buy it. Sinister Dexter, number one from IDW. Sinister Dexter makes its U.S. debut, spinning out of the pages of 2000 AD. This one is written by Dan Abnett, who Joe and I both love, and he does a really good job here writing a near-future British sci-fi comedy that pretty much appeals to anybody, I think. It was fun. There's lots of boobs. It's definitely adult. Both characters are witty, well-written. They are gunhawks, not cops like I thought they were. Gunhawks are kind of like mercenaries. Bad news. Bounty hunters. Bounty hunter type guys. This is a fun read, and I think I'm going to pick up more. You know what? The more I read of 2000 AD, the more I like it. I think there's something wrong with me. Buy it. There's your ludicrous speed round, and is the sound of a lion man yelling at the females in his pride, like, get in line, woman, as seen in this week's issue of the Steam Engines of Oz, the Geared Leviathan, Wait, number one. Like what? Get in line, woman! Okay.
So maybe we weren't the best behaved boys on Santa's list this year. Maybe he didn't bring us crap and instead sent his mean, ugly demon of a brother, Krampus, to crap in our stockings. As it turns out, Krampus is a rad dude to party with, and he's got a weakness for Matt's pear and cinnamon-infused brandy. Delicious. So, sit down for a drink in the Sanctum Sanctorum and listen as Santa's bro drunkenly spills the secrets of next week's comics. Matt, what comic are you hoping to read for Christmas? I am actually excited for Origin 2. Number one, this is written by Kieran Gillen with art by Adam Kubert. Here's your solicit. A few years after the events of Origin finds James Howlett running with the wolves until something unexpected brings him back into the world. Follow the first X-Man as he finds his way back to civilization and falls afoul of something sinister. What? hey Who's just discovering mutant kind and the horrors he can visit on them. Origin 1 was a beautiful story. Origin 1 was beautifully drawn. Beautifully drawn. And beautifully confusing. Did not get to the point. (laughs) It really didn't at all. I'm hoping they do better here. Love Kubert. Love Gillen. Love Wolverine. I think it's going to be good. I think it'll be good. What are you reading next week, Joe Patrick? I am very excited for The Saviors, number one from Image, written by James Robinson with art by Jabone. That's J-Bone. Here's your solicit. When Tomas Ramirez stumbles upon an extraterrestrial conspiracy to take over the world, his life is changed forever. He must now seek out those few souls who share this terrible knowledge. But even united, how can they hope to defeat a shadowy alien cabal that is both indestructible and eager to kill anyone who threatens it? I've been pumped for this series ever since they announced it at, I think, last year's Image Expo. Yeah, I think that's right. James Robinson on a creator-owned book. I'm in. J-Bone, who has worked with Darwin Cook on things like The Spirit. Very talented guy. Sickly talented. Yeah. And I am I think this is going to be a super fun book. I have not read it yet. Okay. Because I like to save my comics for the week that they are released. All right. Look at you. I know. That's good. I know. It's a light week next week. It's slim pickings. Only like eight books coming out. I know. The THN Trade of the Week pretty much by default goes to Conan volume 14 from Dark Horse uh, continuing their collections of Brian Woods Conan the Barbarian everyone loves it but me this one is called The Death The Death let you figure out who's gonna die full disclosure we did not bother to write any of that down because we didn't think we were gonna do a trade pick and I rattled that all off from memory that's impressive thank you as always, we want to know what you're looking forward to, so tell us what comics Krampus crapped into your stockings over at the THN forum. Sign up. You'll feel much better. It'll be like a Christmas present, I promise, that you get to unwrap every day. Once a month, Matt and I crack open a great big book. Sure, it still has pictures, but that doesn't mean it doesn't count. It's true. This month on Take a Look, it's in a book. We are talking about Ryan Brown's God Hates Astronauts hardcover from Image Comics, suggested to us by Jeremy Jacquat on the forums. Yeah, we don't know how to say your last name, I'm Jeremy. sorry. <laughs> you have noticed that's a popular theme on this show. <laughs> God Hates Astronauts started as a humble webcomic with Brown publishing one page every 24 hours, but his audience quickly grew, and what started as a small group of devoted fans soon turned into a cult following. After a successful Kickstarter campaign, Brown brought his collected story to Image Comics, and now the world knows just how insane he actually is. Joe, I did not see this coming. (laughs) God hates astronauts. Yeah, this is one of those like review proof books. You know what I mean? Because it's fun. It's well done. It's well executed. It's the art is good. But the story is so wacky and so out of control. Let's let's back it up. (laughs) All right. So God hates astronauts. The, The quote unquote story of God hates astronauts is loosely centered on a superhero team called the power persons five and they are bad people well okay they are are in part like some of them are comic book tropes like cosmic avenger yeah 
you know, uh, sort of thing. But then some of them defy description. Like one of them is called anti-mugger and he's just a dude in a speedo that hates muggers. He's Batman. He's Batman. Except he's not. But he's an exceptionally focused Batman. Right. It's be like if Batman only fought carjackers. There, you know? <laughs> there's another woman on the team called the impossible who is a woman in a, in a standard superhero costume, but she's wearing a mask that's upside down so that her face, like she looks like she's standing on her head or her face is actually upside down. I wasn't going to try to think about that. <laughs> and her power literally is to like do the impossible. So yeah. if you have both of her arms, like if you have grabbed onto both of her arms, a third arm will come from nowhere and punch <laughs> yeah, you. Right. She's the Scarlet Witch of the team. Sort of, right. You're right. <laughs> they are fighting their arch nemesis, Jay Sullivan, right, is his name? John Sullivan? John Sullivan, yes. John L. Sullivan, world heavyweight champ, 1882 to 1892. <laughs> Pugilist extraordinaire. So he's like one of those bully, yeah. like old-timey boxer guys. And he's got an army of uh, sentient bears. That fight, well, they might somewhat sentient. No, they're sentient because later in the story they teach themselves magic. Oh yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so already it's gone off the rails. Yeah, this moves at the speed of like Axe Cop. It, right. How okay. You have to think of it. And the difference is, Axe Cop comes from the brain of a five-year-old child. Right. And this comes from the the brain of a thirty-year-old stoner. <laughs> certainly impaired by something. Yes. Stream of conscious stream of consciousness ramblings of an adult man right and that is not to take anything away from it because it is super bonkers in a really fun way and there's so much recognizable stuff that you've seen like pulled from comics that you love oh yeah it's very referential yeah, and definitely and it's it's referential humor uh utilized very well and you know it's the sort of thing where you know they're fighting and the sound effects are <laughs> So one somebody gets somebody gets like kneed in the crotch and the sound effect is Blagojevich, <laughs> yeah. which really made me laugh. It's ridiculous. And so uh, without going any further into the story, because it's there's no point no, really. of describing the story. Just know that the story doesn't really matter. No. It starts at point A and ends up at point 11D. Right. It, it, it does not follow a linear path. It is a moment to moment humor book and, and there's no rules there's just absolutely no there rules. are no rules we meet uh what's this star guy's name uh starfighter starfighter yeah starfighter is sort of like your main character and he's a complete self-absorbed <laughs> yeah, d-bag and like on page three this is not a spoiler on page three what's it's the, page 14 pardon me john is it john john it. sullivan john sullivan beats his head into a gigantic bag of blood and guts blood and, and because starfighter is immortal yeah his it, head just chills out like that and it doesn't hurt that bad but it's also never going to heal and right. it's, it just inflates and inflates and turns into this giant like like a sack swollen sack until it gets so bad that it pops in a fight with another character and he, I'm not going to tell you how, but he ends up having a ghost cow head. <laughs> yeah, and that's on the cover. If you so, you see the guy with the ghost cow head. That's who we're talking about. That's Starfighter. This is the speed at which this story moves. <laughs> that's the thing. Like it, it's very inventive. It definitely. And the references, the referential humor. I really like referential humor when I it's do done too. well. And I understand, like it gets super old, right? In like. Family Guy's been on the air for, I don't know, 11 billion years. Well, to be fair, it came back. Oh, right. But its entire existence is built on, hey, remember that thing that happened on right. that show you watched when you were eight? Right. And this is sort of like that, but in a much more subtle way. Like It's masterfully done. There's a character named, named Gnarled Winslow, <laughs> who is literally... Carl Winslow from Family Matters with bear arms. <laughs> and his wife is Harriet, and he is a disgraced cop that accidentally murdered Steve Urkel. <laughs> so, <laughs> just even like talking about it again. Right. Like, I was and laughing so, out like, loud. Whereas something like Family Guy, so Family Guy gets most of its traction by reminding you how much you enjoyed something else. Right. God Hates Astronauts takes that something else and does something totally f with it. it makes it, it it's referential humor but it takes the reference and 
doesn't just like move it to its most logical point takes it to a completely ridiculous like monty python level sure <laughs> of humor I mean, this is amazing stuff uh, the the art is uh, the art is good ryan brown has gone on to do professional work he's drawing bedlam right now for image and he's which is beautiful but the art here takes a leap like they talk about it in the back matter all through all, all through the book really he mentions how he was self-publishing and then you know he had a hiatus and then he finally got around to putting on a second issue and he only was able to make 50 copies right and then he got it into the hands of chris burnham who said this is crazy you need to go talk to somebody at image or what or put it online and so he reprinted it and moved a few more copies and so huge lengths of time between issues and so the art doesn't just improve slightly it improves by leaps, leaps and bounds yeah it, it which whatever it's it's fun with the story because you can see like this starts at his humble beginnings where he's like screw it i'm gonna make a comic i don't care i'm gonna do whatever i want in it and you can tell he was rushing them out and he got better and better and the storytelling gets better and by the end his wit his humor is razor sharp and his art has improved so much. I mean, this is just a fun journey. Uh, I loved this. I a, give this a bigger, a bigger buy. -in. There's a whole like group of anthropomorphic owl characters, and they're all their puns are all owl names, like <laughs> Owlvin, and one of them is Owl Owl Capone and Owldolf Hitler. <laughs> It's so retarded. Yeah, it's, it's just stupid. This comic book is retarded. It, absolutely. Uh, as as a package, like this is online. This material is online. But the back half of it is all extra stuff provided by friends of Brown's that helped him get this out into the mainstream. Very cool. So all like all of the characters, even the most minor ones, get two page origin stories by a lot of people that you have heard of. Yeah. Like Trad Moore. And they're really funny little punch in and punch out little clever gags. Yeah. And then there's a lot of like process work, the 24 hour comics that spawned it originally. Right. Which is why he was doing the one page a day for 24 right. hours. And then well, it's one page an hour for well, twenty page an hour. <laughs> right. 20, sorry. And so there's a lot of meat in this book for the price. And as a value, I think it's definitely worth it. Oh yeah. Because even though you can go online and read the main chapters, all this extra stuff is just icing on the cake in a beautifully packaged book. Yeah. And Ryan Brown needs to be living comfortably. He's a <laughs> yes. genius. Oh, I'm it. I'm giving this a buy it. I'm tempted to give it a skim it just because while I really loved it, I can absolutely see how somebody would look at this and go, what the? F yeah. I mean, if you got to be looking for some wacky humor, but it's strong enough that I'm upgrading it to a buy it. I think you should check it out. I think it deserves the support and I want there to be more of this right on. You ain't no astronaut. That is a double buy it for God hates astronauts and a high five and a pass the duchy to Ryan Brown. <laughs> we want to know what you guys thought of God hates astronauts. And if you haven't read it yet, go read it. Get on the forums. Get on the take a look. It's in a book section and tell us your feelings. And guess what? You can also write about any trade paperback or graphic novel you're reading. Same place. And make a recommendation for us. Totally. Because we are ignorant. We would love it. No free train anyway. Sort of, sort of, break it, break it down like this. And that is it for the last THN show of the year. If you're as shocked as we are at the shock of the rest of the world reacting to the backwoods moron homophobe star of Duck Dynasty, did you really think this guy was some kind of mental giant? I mean, come on. Uh, point of order. He has a master's degree and you don't. Good for him. How'd that turn out? You can subscribe to this show on iTunes or Stitcher where you can give the show a star rating, a written review, or a Stitcher thumbs up and help us to connect with other potential listeners. Thank you to all of our donors. And if you'd like to help keep us in Rudy Toot Toots and Rummy Tom Toms, you can make your donation in any amount using our festive little PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com. What the hell's a Rummy Tom Tom? 
check from Santa it? Claus is coming to town. Yeah, yeah, that's what he's bringing you. Rudy Two Toots and Rummy Tum Tums. Wow, I don't know. I don't I've know. never sang past the first verse. I guess I don't know what the hell it means. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed at Two Headed Nerd, our email Two Headed Nerd at gmail.com, our YouTube channel where nothing cool happens. THN Comic Cast, our Skype handle, which is Two Headed Nerd, all one word, and our direct phone number 402-819-4894 using this myriad of resources you can send slash call us with your ask and earn questions or defend your questionable nerd tastes in our defenders forum or ask the comic pushers what you should be reading or you can ask us to review your self-published comic be it printed digital whatever remember to follow us on twitter and like our facebook page if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion as we said Get to those forums. If you want to hear our answers along with your own written responses, we will be there on the forums to answer this week's question. If you want to hear audio responses to the question of the week, be sure to check out the Two-Headed Nerd Answer of the Week podcast on hiatus for now. But there are past episodes that you can go check out if you've never heard them. And it'll be back. It is a wacky time. It'll be back and better than ever in 2014. There you go. If you already subscribed to this show, you don't need to do nothing. It will just magically show up in your stocking like a Christmas present from Santa. Next week, it's the annual Golden Beppo Awards, where Joe and I hand out the coveted Golden Beppo to our favorite comics and creators of 2013. Make sure to get on the forums and let us know what your favorites were. We'll have the categories up, and we want to hear from you guys because there is a Listener's Choice Award. If you need more THN in your life, get over to thn 2 headednerdcom and check out the new comics on the rocks where Chris Kelly is sipping brown liquor and reading comics. Our weekly shout-out this week goes to DC Comics, who acquired Al Plastino's Superman JFK art pages and donated them to the JFK Memorial Library, honoring one of the late artist's final requests. Word to you, DC, it's nice to know you do something right every once in a while. I did not write that. And word to you for not being a negative story in our news this week. It was Marvel's turn. <laughs> Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics because your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. This is the Two-Headed Nerd wishing you and yours a happy, generic holiday void of any religious meaning whatsoever. Jesus loves you. 